Sunday, 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 or any day. Tune into the Barracuda Radio Podcast, Podcast, Podcast. The only podcast for car culture, tiki's, lowbrow art, and rugged tales of He-Man adventure. The premiere episode features a nitro-burning funny car of the American literary scene. Author PJ O'Rourke, Rourke, Rourke. Download Barracuda Radio for free from iTunes or listen at barracudaradio.com. Barracuda Radio. We'll sell you the whole seat, but you'll only need the edge. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and everyone who's finally realized he loves bathrooms on airplanes. Hi, folks, and welcome back to The Larry Miller Show. And I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? You know something that, that, that there's so much to tell you today, but that, that orchestra once again always gets better there. That is the Avi McGrady Orchestra. And the Sabrina Schulteis-Murray Dancers, featuring boy tenor Adam Cloutier, asking the musical question, if we're all Larry Miller, in a way, is it always Miller time? Yes. Yes, it is. That's a terrific question, and one with a very simple answer. And... uh it probably could just be to the question, too. I'm, I'm awfully glad you said if we're all Larry Miller based on, well, the show. And I'm sure you, uh, I love you saying in a way. But if you had just asked, is it always Miller time? The answer would have still been yes. Yes, it is. I'm not even sure what that means seriously. But yes, it is. And you know something? That, that's a terrific phrase. I, I, I don't know if your name matches something that was used in national advertising. Boy, that's a heavy way to put it, isn't it? But mine does. And yes, it's always Miller time. Boy, I don't know, folks. Uh, what do you think about you? Is it always you time? It probably shouldn't be. Is it always me time? It probably shouldn't be. But for now, you know what? Based on a terrific question by Adam Cloutier, if we're all Larry Miller in a way, is it always Miller time? Yes. Yes. If you're all Larry Miller, how could I say no? Yes, it's always Miller time. And, uh, boy, Avi McGrady, by the way, it's worth saying, is an adorable little boy. He's seven years old. Right, Colonel? And, uh, his dad wrote to us saying that they listen to every show, which is very sweet. Thank you. And that every time our music comes on, our theme song, which I love too, as you know, that his son Avi uh, marches around and starts marching around the room the way a seven-year-old would. And it's it's a very cute thing. It was a very sweet letter to get. And thank you for sending it. And Avi, keep marching, because remember, it's always Miller time. Uh, but that's very sweet. Thank you. And uh, Sabrina uh, was the head of the dancers, just because we also love not only the thought she wrote to us, but that name, Schulteis-Murray. You have to be a dancer with that, don't you? 
or like the head of the KGB or something like that. So thank you all. And it's time for a new department in a way, but it's time to tell you some very good news in all sorts of ways. It, this is a housekeeping section for a second. And what that means is, well, housekeeping, how you clean certain things up, how you explain what's been going on and what is going on and what will go on. First of all, I'm sorry we missed two shows. It's a couple of things to tell you about that, but it's nothing nefarious, nothing strange. And in fact, it's all to the good. Colonel Jeff, who is, I might as well admit, in real life, just called Jeff on our show. He's Colonel Jeff forever. And uh, uh, Colonel Jeff gave notice over at uh, Ace Broadcasting there. He did that about a month ago, right? And uh, gave notice, meaning he said, uh, oh, they had a big chat with all the folks, the producer and Adam and everybody there. And uh, they just decided, you know what? He said, thank you. They made him a nice offer for this and that. And he said, thank you. I want to start my own studio and I want to start my own company. And I want to be independent with that. And everybody, it's it's fine there. Everyone's happy about that. They said, you know what? Go ahead. Have fun, do a good job, and so, frankly, and he did a bunch more shows there for him, producing that uh, for Adam in a couple of weeks there. That's why I guess you get a couple of weeks' notice, because you can still clean up everything you want to clean up. But uh, all is well over there. And see, the thing is, though, with Jeff leaving, I wanted to keep doing this show. I want to keep growing with this show. I want to keep doing new things that are fun and funny and find great sections and segments to tell certain things that happen in life. And I wanted to keep doing it with Colonel Jeff. I really like him. He really likes me, probably more. But I, I really, I wanted to keep working with him. We wanted to keep working together. And so, well, it's, it's terrific. I, well, I talked to Adam and everything's Frankly, as agreeable as it could ever be in show business, I, I like Adam so much, and he likes me, and I love being... By the way, he has a new movie coming out with me in it called Road Hard, which I believe is premiering in a couple of weeks on February 19th. And I, I love working with the guy, and he likes working with me, and so you know what? It was also as agreeable as possible there. I spoke to him said you know what i i love working with jeff i want to keep going with him i want to follow him i want to make this under his banner now at his, at his new studio and i there's nothing wrong with that and and i'm going to see adam soon there anyway and uh keep doing all sorts of things with him and and him with me we couldn't like him more and everything worked out frankly just great so here we are now on our own. And that's a nice way to be. We are recording this at my studio now. And I didn't tell you this yet. And Colonel Jeff didn't know this yet until today. But my office and my studio, my creative enterprise, is in its own mountain on its own desert island like... Dr. Evil. It's 
really like that. It's br- it's all brushed steel, and there's a huge table I'm sitting at now where you're in the main head guy chair where it's just off the floor. It's not floating, but you can just move. You have all sorts of devices on you, and you can move to the left or to the right. And, well, I'll tell you about, more about it as we go along, but it's staffed by very tough guys in one-piece zipper suits, kind of jumpsuits, but they reflect all sun rays, and we have a lot of machines and a lot of potions and really a lot of things going on, which, again, I'll be telling you, but we had to, of course, fly Colonel Jeff in by helicopter. He was surprised by this, but he's a top pro. He understands that well, main guys at studios, I'm not just recording this today in the office in my house. I could, I'm sure. I'm not just recording where I have all my books in the room, where I have posters from old shows and and the laptop is open and, and uh, Colonel Jeff is petting the dog. It's not that at all. We're on a huge, evil island. And also, by the way, we always have... Young, beautiful women, of course, by the pool. We always have the pool. And we always have a lot of the tough guys who are juggling Indian clubs on the other side. That, as you know, from every movie with bad guys in it, or here's our look at the future. It always has one or two guys in a bathing suit juggling Indian clubs on the other side of the pool. Because that indicates the future somehow. I don't know how, you you don't know how, but we wanted to keep the tradition going. So we told the fellas with the Indian clubs, we told the fellas who are always armed with big machine guns, I wish I've got to find out the name of those more, rather than just calling them big machine guns, but that's what they are. And we gathered everybody together and said, hey, we're going to be doing the show from the island here every week, once a week. So for now, for today, since this is our first show, please head off the island and take the main Miller boat back to the main, well, the base on the beach there. And uh, some of them just, well, of course, they did it because I I told them it was like an order. And uh, they just headed off there. And, And a few, to be honest, were very, very sad. They didn't want to have to leave. They live here as well. There's a whole dormitory area, and they wanted to be part of things and see how we did it. So, well, we killed them, yes. We uh, we don't mess around here on the island. We there's uh, There are some smaller punishments, like listening to music you don't like really loud. But, uh... It's a one. It's a wonderful island, and and, and I'll, I'll I'll let you more about know more about it as as we go along, but boy, I'll tell you folks though, uh, in all honesty, and it's it's so good to we feel very happy. This is our first show in an independent company. This is our first show that's an independent show. It's with me and Jeff, and uh, the Colonel and Doctor Chris is not with us. He he might have been with us, and uh, we were 
saying to him, okay, here's what we're going to do. We'll come on over. We'll get you to the island. But these things happen all the way, sometimes like this. He had just signed up for space camp, and he was leaving, you know, and he couldn't get to the mountain on the desert island. He, well, he's going to be at space camp. It's not, what is it, eight weeks? It's an eight, eight weeks program at this point, eight weeks. And uh, after that, we'll see what happens. But he's really in demand a lot of ways that uh, we, we love him and he loves us. But this is where we are. And uh, this is the land, the office I call Milleronia. That's right, Milleronia. My wife and I, when we were looking for a house, when we got married, we uh, would look every place that had terraces, sort of in the backyard, I would walk out onto the terrace and uh, hold my arms akimbo with, his, with, with the hands on the waist and look around, nodding very sagely. And I would say to her, this is where I could make my speeches to the people here in Milleronia. And I always called it Milleronia. And she thought that was funny the first couple of times I said it, but 11 or 15 times it... She really lost all interest in it, but it didn't stop me from saying it. And the various real estate agents thought it was, well, they would have liked anything I said, because I think when they meet you, which is a good thing to be, they're trying to sell you a house. And whatever you say, they're going to chuckle. If you laugh, they'll laugh. But that's what we call it at the house, Milleronia. So that's what I call it here on my fortress island, Milleronia. And... uh at any rate, we're very happy. We're independent here. We're very grateful to Adam and his whole company and studio. We had a wonderful time there, and we'll have a wonderful time again. And by Amazon and PayPal. That's right. We're so glad they came with us, not to the island, because they have whole companies with giant buildings, and that's what they should have. But we uh, we love... Having them with us, Amazon is still, I think, the greatest company in the world because, number one, whatever you want, they'll get it for you. Whatever you order, whatever you can imagine, whatever you've ever had even the slightest desire for, you get through to Amazon and they will find it for you and they will send it to you. And by the way, don't go to them on your own. You could do that. But what you do that's far better is you go to our... That's right, our website, which is still, thanks to Colonel Jeff, on the same address. It's LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. That's where you go, LarryMillerPodcast.com. That will take you to our new official website that the Colonel has been working on a lot, and we're going to put more fun up on it every week. And... What you do is there's a banner that says Amazon. You click our banner that says Amazon, and boy, are you lucky now because you don't have to go anywhere. We will take you there. We will take you to Amazon ourselves. You click that banner, and you can take a nap in your big easy chair. And it could be the middle of the night. Colonel Jeff and I will wake up because we can look in the sky, and I will send up the official signal of Milleronia. Now, you could, you could say, well, didn't Batman used to do that with the bat signal? Yes. 
and we have kept that going as a tradition. Again, it's not as if we stole it. But we kept that going, so I'll send up the Milleronia signal, and Colonel Jeff and I will meet at the studio. That's right, on the island. We will. I will pick him up in the helicopter, and we'll take you right to Amazon. And whatever you order, the reason I think they're the greatest company ever is whatever you order, they'll send you, and you're happy. Whatever you order, they're happy because they get to send you things. And then we're happy because they always send us a percentage of whatever you order. So you're happy, they're happy, and we're happy. Thanks, folks. Glad you're with us independently. And by PayPal. My formula is still the same. Go to your favorite bar in town. And ask how much they charge for a drink. You go there 2, 3 in the afternoon, there's no one in there. No one eating lunch, no one having a drink, nothing. Just the bartender with his foot up on the speed rack doing a crossword puzzle. And he'll smile at you and you smile at him and you say to him, how much do you charge for a drink? Whatever he says, you multiply by 2. Because it's for me and Colonel Jeff. You multiply the price of that drink, he tells you, by two and send it here and, well, we'll be very happy, just like with every company that day. You'll be happy, they'll be happy, and and we'll be happy. And my advice always is, as long as you're in that bar, as long as it's empty, as long as now you know what they charge for a drink, sit down and have one. Move to the bar there, get the daily paper, do a crossword puzzle yourself if you like. But sit down there at 2.45 in the afternoon and say, yes, I believe I'll have one of those. So thanks to Amazon and thanks to PayPal. And now it brings me to what is still, I think, at this point. Well, we're going to have all sorts of new things coming on the show, but it's still my favorite part of the show, the joke of the week. That was pretty good. That was our first time doing it here in Milleronia. And that's pretty neat. The uh, the joke of the week, which I love very much because I love jokes and I think you do too. And they're wonderful, wonderful units of a little image of life that you get to pass along. If you like the joke, you can pass it along to a friend, a loved one, and uh, or they can pass one on to you. So here's one that, uh, well, we found today on the Internet. And uh, I hope you like it. Here it comes. There's an elderly man recovering from an operation in the intensive care unit of a local terrific hospital. I always like making hospitals terrific, by the way, because that's where they should be. They should be for you. They should be for me. And they were terrific. This one was really good. And he's recovering, and he's a little dizzy, and, well, he's an older fellow. He's in his 80s, and uh, there's a young nurse who comes in, and she comes in the room just in time because he has an important question, and he kind of weakly holds a hand up, and uh, he says, are my testicles black? And she sort of gets a little stiff and, and, and is shocked and doesn't know... Well, sir, I uh, forgive me. I'm not actually a nurse here. I'm a. I'm in training. I'm. I've been helping out. I'm. 
I'm 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 still in school, and he just says, "Are my testicles black?" And she says, "Forgive me, I, I I don't know. This is something I should get the nurse. I should get the head nurse and ask her to come in here. You've just had an operation. I understand you're a little nervous. Are my testicles black?" And now she makes a decision. She comes over to the bed and says, "Oh, I, I don't want him to get upset. I don't want him to." I don't want him to lose his composure. He's he's just recovering from the. Well, maybe I should. All right, all right. All right. She comes over to the bed and just lifts lifts the sheet up, and and moves his 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 sheet around under that, and look just looks down and lifts this and that, and just sees and and, and holds this and that, and then she she puts them back down and and covers him back up and says. Uh, Yes, sir, you're fine. Nothing to worry about. Everything is just the way it should be. And he looks at her and says, Yes, thank you. That's very nice. But please listen to me carefully. Are my test results back? <laughs> well, the colonel and I both had a laugh over that one, and I hope you did too. And uh, once again, a joke that exists in its own universe. And I'm glad, well, I'm glad I got to bring it to you. And that brings us to my second favorite part of the show. Yes, the Poetry Corner. That guy is still coughing. We don't normally allow coughs on the island. He doesn't have to know that yet. And uh, here we are with a poem from Alexander Pope. And uh, another great author, a great wordsmith. And uh, I'm glad, I'm glad he's with us today. It's a poem called Ode to Solitude. And here's how it goes. Happy the man whose wish and care a few paternal acres bound, content to breathe his native air in his own ground, whose herds with milk, whose fields with bread, whose flocks supply him with attire, whose trees in summer yield him shade, in winter fire. Blessed, who can unconcernedly find Hours, days, and years slide soft away In health of body, peace of mind, Quiet by day, sound sleep by night, Study and ease together mixed, Sweet recreation and innocence, Which most does please with meditation. Thus let me live, unseen, unknown, thus unlamented, let me die, steal from the world, and not a stone tell where I lie. Well, I think that's a lovely, uh, a lovely poem, a good piece of work, and uh, as a good poem should be, it it, it mixes words and and bends them and stretches them and offers, ho holds them out to you on a silver plate. 
It's a good way to hear them that way. I'm not sure how we would react. I'm not sure how I would react to the whole thought of, well, let me live that way. There are some people who always want that unseen, unknown, I'll go away, you know, don't bother me, I won't bother you. And even when I pass away, oh, you don't have to come, you don't even have to know. And that not even a stone, a marker to tell where I lie. And he wrote it in a beautiful way. But I think maybe if I wrote a poem like that, I'd also add a part to say, well, when you come over to the island, maybe he had a mountain island too called Poperonia. But uh, it's a beautiful one. Thank you, Alexander Pope. And thank you, folks, for listening. And that brings us to my third favorite part of the show that we've brought over to the new independent show this week. The Triple M. Three M's. M-M-M. Magic Movie Moment. With the best piano note in history... To end it, I just love that thing. And so, folks, you know what? This is this is a pleasure to talk about this one. There's a great Marx Brothers movie, and I I've told you about you about it before. It's in in a different context, but it's called A Night at the Opera, and I think it's from. Oh, brother, this is pre-World War II. This is uh, 38 or 39. And, well, if you don't know anything about the Marx Brothers, let me just hold that off for a second, because this cast is wonderful. Lucille Ball is in this one. And this one has the great Margaret Dumont, who always played their, their wealthy friends, and she was always just thrilled to be with them and... And whatever went on, you liked having her around. She was a tiny bit knuckleheaded, but I liked that. And uh, she was always fun to be there. And this one also, well, has the great Sig Ruman in it. That's right. His name was Sig Ruman. You know him from many other movies like Stalag 17. Where he, he was a great dramatic actor, and he was a great comedic actor, too. He was really good to have in a Marx Brothers movie. And he had, he was a tall, hefty, well-built man. And although in those days, right, frankly, you know, 70 years ago, 80 years ago, that the word tall meant something different because a lot of folks weren't that tall. And especially, well, the Mar and in show business and comedy, the Marx Brothers, the Three Stooges, the Ritz Brothers, Anyone who had the word brother there, but they were never that tall. I love that. I really love that. When you see some of the great old Three Stooges movies and the shorts there, they would have young, lovely actresses who were also working at the studio, and they would have sometimes three of them in there if they were part of the show, if part of the script was that they were all getting married, and they would have three of them there. Sometimes they'd have one or two just to play the sidekicks of either the good guys or the bad guys. And they were, it's always wonderful to see young, lovely women. But if you see them with the Three Stooges, you realize my kids sort of knew this instantly. We'd watch things, and then they'd say, uh, are those women really tall, or are the Three Stooges not so tall? 
And I said, you know what? It's good that you notice that it's funny. But no, those women are like any other women at the time, really. They're, they're about 5'2", maybe 5'1". Maybe the tall ones are 5'3". But maybe less, maybe just five feet straight and just... And it's just that the Three Stooges, like all men, like the Marx Brothers, well, just weren't that tall. And, well, I'd love to have been with them in life and sat down and had a nice lunch somewhere and just listened to them talk. But they weren't that tall. So, in any case, Sig Ruman, God bless him, was pretty tall, but... Pretty tall in this case probably means 5'11". Pretty tall meant he was playing the big tough guy. And, in well, in Stalag 17, a great movie. But uh, he was talking about how he used to be a wrestler in that movie, in that part, as the sergeant, the German sergeant, who was taking care of that barracks. It's a great movie. You should see it. Stalag 17. I'll, in fact, I'll talk about it on the Triple M sometime. But at any rate, Sig Ruman is great. He was tall. He was beefy. And he, you could, you could have said, yeah, he could have been a wrestler too, but he had a. You'd recognize him the second you see him. Always had a little goatee and a mustache with little ends twirled up. But he had a, a thick accent that it always worked very well for him. This accent, and he, he would, he would make it. He was somewhere from the from Germany, and he was from the mountains somewhere. And in, uh, say, A Night at the Opera, he was always saying that uh, Groucho's name was Driftwood in that. That's right. He always had funny names in that. But uh, he would always say, but Mr. Driftwood is an employee of the opera company. And he was funny in everything he did in that movie, but he could be tough, too. So in any case, that movie really works well. And it's so funny and has a great dramatic story. And there's love in it. But the reason I'm bringing it up now is because I was in a movie called Radio Land Murders, which was, I think, 1996, something like that. And uh, in that, it was directed by Mel Smith, who's just a wonderful actor and director. And uh, it's a George Lucas movie, by the way. He wrote the script. And it's, uh, oh, what a great cast that was. People I became friends with, too. Stephen Tobolowsky is in that. And... Corbin Burnson is in that, and uh, so many people. And uh, Chris Lloyd is in that. And, I mean, so many people. There's another dozen people you'd know. Brian Benben, I think, was the lead in that. And I was playing the manager of the radio station that they're going to take national. That's going to be national now. And I was playing a character who was also very broad and thought he was way better than he was, maybe. And uh, I said to Mel, the director, you know, even before we got the, we got to where it was the location where it was being shot, and uh, we were going to spend a while there, a couple of months. And I said to him, hey, you know what, because uh, I told him about, he knew Sig Ruman anyway, he knew who that was. And I said, boy, he always had a great accent. And I just, uh, out of the air, said to him, I wasn't planning this, but I said, Hey, would it be all right if I did Sig Ruman's accent as this character? And he said, in a great moment of show business, sure, go ahead. And uh, that was, he, he didn't ask questions like, can you? Can you do that? But 
I had a wonderful time, a wonderful time doing that. The, the Sig Ruman accent for three months in, where were we? Not New Orleans. It was someplace, oh golly, can't remember. But it, 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 was, it was wonderful to walk around the whole day. And my whole costume was, every scene was a cutaway formal tuxedo, white tie and tails, as they call it. I don't guess a lot of us ever wear that in real life. But they're fun to wear. You feel very formal. And that helped the character. It helped the storytelling in the movie. Because in those days, thinking of a big-time radio station in the 1930s that was now going to be national, it seemed to make perfect sense that the head of the whole station, the head of all management, was always wearing white tie and tails. And sounded like Sig Ruman. So whatever it was, uh, you know, they'd say, sir, excuse me, uh, we can't find any of the tools that they killed the other guy with. It was a story about murders. But you'd always say, well, look again, find them. And, you know, it was just fun for me. And, uh, and I think fun for the movie, too. But, folks, I have to tell you, then, that ties those together. Because... The magic movie moment for me for this came in a way because it came off the screen. When I was a little kid, what was seven or eight years old, kind of like Avi, I guess. And when I was uh, seven or eight years old, my parents took my sister and me to a hotel in the Catskills and for the weekend. And the headline star there for that weekend was Alan Jones, who was a great singer, a great star, and also happened to be the star of A Night at the Opera in that movie. And I knew that movie very well at that point. And I saw him, I saw Alan Jones, who, by the way, was is Jack Jones' father, the singer Jack Jones. And, uh, I saw Alan Jones, my parents and I and my sister walking along and uh, past some of the shops in the hotel there. And I saw Alan Jones talking to someone in the lobby and he was about to go in to the dining room to get a meal. And I said to my parents, is it okay if I say hello? And they said, sure, just, you know, be polite and uh, go, oh, go on over there. And I did. I kind of skipped over there and he turned and I had a big smile and I said, uh, Excuse me, Mr. Jones, I just, uh, and he smiled at me too, and I, I realized there's nothing to tell him, really. I don't have to tell him any of these other things. And with a smile, I, I just held my hand out and said, I'm just awfully glad to meet you, and I'm glad you're here to sing tonight, and I'm really looking forward to it. And his smile got broader, and he shook my hand, and he said something so nice, just, uh, well, young man, it's awfully nice to meet you, too. And I hope you like the show. And he smiled, and we shook hands. And I said, okay, bye. One of those kid things where you wave a little bit as the guy is walking away. The small wave. And, well, he was great. He was great that night. And uh, you know something, folks? Tying that all together is a nice way. Sometimes you and I and all of us have show business stories that don't quite work out 
that well. Sometimes you and I have stories. You hear people always say things like, oh, I ran into so-and-so, and I thought I'd say hello, and, well, she was very rude to me, and uh, some big star somewhere, or he said this, and I didn't, I didn't think it was so polite. People have stories like that sometimes, but in this case, it ties all these wonderful movies, a Marx Brothers movie that's so good, folks. If you haven't seen, good Lord, if you haven't seen A Night at the Opera, come on. It's it's wonderful. And, well, you'll see Alan Jones then. He does a great job there. And the Marx Brothers, though not tall, do a great job too. And that's why that, this week, for our first independent show, seemed to be a great choice for a magic movie moment, something that comes out into your life and touches your life as much as it did in the movie. And you know what? You never know. You never know when something is going to... The the smallest things happen sometimes in your life and, and mine, and when they happen the right way, well... It's very much better than they happen the wrong way. I had, see, part of the reasons I was away for the last couple of weeks and couldn't do a show for a couple of weeks is I got a couple of last-minute jobs. This happens in show business. These were uh, for comedy and for one and one for making a speech also that happened really just the night before. This, this last week, just a few days ago, I was, it was on a Monday night. And at Monday night, my manager called me up and said, well, one of our friends, someone you know, Susie Esman, who's a wonderful actor, actress, and and a great comic, and she was hired for a show uh, in Vail, Colorado, at uh, staying at a beautiful ski resort and doing the show at a beautiful ski theater there in town in Vail. And she couldn't get out of New York where she lived because, as you well know, as I'm sure you remember, two weeks ago, she uh, they canceled all the flights coming out of New York. I think all those cities, Boston, Philadelphia, New York, uh, I think all the way down the coast, down to Washington, D.C., all airports, but especially out of New York, were, well, flat as a board. They were canceled. Zero flights. And there was no way to get a train. The trains were canceled. Can you imagine that? The subways being canceled? And they weren't kidding around. That was bad weather, folks. And so she couldn't take a train or a car to Boston and catch a flight from there. Their flights were canceled, too. So at any rate, she called up. We're friends, and uh, we have the same manager, in fact. And she called and said, I can't get out. Would Larry like to do this job? And, well, my manager called me. Sure, it's a good job. It was good money and a beautiful place. So I did that, and I had to call Colonel Jeff and say, well, I know we were going to do our first independent show this week, but I, I can't. I'm going to Vail, Colorado to stay at a nice hotel and work at a nice theater for one night, and then I'll be coming back the next day. And then... I got another job, the same thing, a one-nighter that just happened the following week. 
this week where someone couldn't go. Folks, this came out this so suddenly. This is to fly to Boca Raton, Florida, which means you, you, you fly to Fort Lauderdale and then drive to Boca Raton, which is a, well, uh, I hadn't been there, but it's a very well-known, very fancy uh, upper-class area, a lot of beautiful homes there, and, well, same thing, nice hotels, the kind of hotels people talk about. When you get there, the first thing they say is, are you staying at the so-and-so inn? And uh, if you say yes, they say, oh, that's beautiful. Oh, you'll like it there. And... You know, you know what, folks? And so the it was knocking off. It was well, it was canceling. I couldn't do shows that week, and we had said in between those two, Colonel Jeff and I had said, "Well, you know what? We'll get together Friday, in between, in the middle, and we'll do a show. Then we'll record our first show. Then on your island." And uh, I told uh, the colonel I couldn't be there because I was going to this, I was going to that, I was doing these jobs. And I said, but let's do it. Yes, we're doing the show Friday. And then he said to me, well, actually, we can't do it Friday either. I'm not feeling well. And I have that big flu that's been going around and it's really walloped me. And I and I just need to get off my feet. I need to stop working for a day or two. And I said to him, how dare you say something like that to me? You mean in show business you're going to use it as an excuse that you're sick? Well, he didn't cry for long. It was just about 40 minutes. But, no, I'm just being silly. He was sick, and he's the toughest guy I know. He works through anything. But that's why we didn't have shows for the last couple of weeks and why we're here on the island today. And I just want to tell you that when you fly, folks, when you fly east, and they were so nice, it was a fancy job, so they flew me first class. And there's no complaining about that. Anytime I fly or I fly with the family on my own, we always fly coach because that's, first of all, it's a fine way to fly. And second of all, there's no reason, well, there's no reason to spend a gillion dollars more for first class. But boy, in show business, whether it's movies, television, or beautiful theaters like Boca Raton, they'll fly you first class. And I did. I got there. Gee, that's a nice way to fly, too. That when you get on a plane, no matter what else you have going on in life, you don't have to worry about the kids or their schools or anything at home or what's broken or not broken, you just take a good paperback book on that plane, and boy, you're in first class. You can lean back, and you can put your feet up on that little footrest that comes out, and you can read a little and nap a little. And folks, that's just what I did. And you can eat what they give you. Boy, it's it's pretty good. But here's the thing. When I got to the uh, fancy hotel, when I got to Fort Lauderdale, a nice driver picked me up and drove me to Boca Raton and to the big fancy hotel. I'm not making fun of that. I'm saying, oh, this is supposed to be a great place. But you see, in show business, once you're in show business, I can promise you, if I'm going for a part on location, it doesn't matter where I am, the, the, the hotel doesn't mean everything to me. 
I almost never leave the room. And I'm telling you honestly, I don't leave the room, especially for a job like this where, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a lunatic, but I'm happy in the room. I got there on Monday night into the room about nine thirty ten at night and called home and checked in with everybody. But it's, you're already in the room at 10 o'clock, and, well, I just hung up the things I was going to wear and and put on, well, pajamas or sweatpants and uh, and white socks and my bedroom slippers, and I was happy. And I ordered some room service dinner in the room, which is great, too. They bring it right to your room. I know this sounds idiotic. You can say, well, I know that. Yeah, but when you really enjoy it, when they knock on that door and they bring it in with a smile and they put it on, well, the desk or the table in the room there and it's, you know it's good food and it's at the kind of, by the way, one of these hotels is what my friends and I always call the $85 cheeseburger because that's kind of what it is. No matter what you order, you didn't think you were ordering this much when you ordered it all off the room service menu. But because it always says, well, $18 for the eggs and and $12 for this. But somehow, when they get it to that room, that check you're signing is always $68 or $88. And I don't know how. But it's fine. It's good. And at the fancy hotel, which I respect, by the way, which I like. Everyone at the job, when I got there, said, oh, you're staying at the resort. And they were very impressed. I, and I, I'm glad for them. I'm glad they like it there. But between you and me, I'm just saying, it was very nice, but the air conditioning didn't work in the room. And it's Florida. It gets a little warm there. And so on the day I was there, that I flew, flew in there Monday night. So on Tuesday in the afternoon, about noon or 1, I called down to the desk, and they sent someone up there to fix the air conditioning. And he came in, and uh, he was very nice. At, at some of these fancy hotels, they call you sir. They call everyone sir. and But they kind of use the word too much so that everything is good. Yes, sir. Thank you. And I uh, came in. Yes. And, uh, well, sir, I think I can see right off the bat what's going on here. And apparently the air conditioning was off it was locked he i couldn't that's why i couldn't work it it wasn't uh, that, that i'm an idiot well maybe that was thrown in but I, I couldn't i couldn't unlock it myself he unlocked it and he turned it on and i was very happy I said thank you very much and he said well sir anything else sir he put in a couple more sirs there and i didn't say well the only other thing i need is for you to stop calling me sir but I didn't say that, so he said, you know, before I leave, let me just look at the filter and the vent. And I started to say, you know what, you could just, just please, no, I don't need the, but he already took off the larger piece there that is in all hotel rooms, and he took it off, and he saw the filter, and I know how to replace a filter, and he looked at that filter, he said, you know what, that one's uh, a little uh, past its expiration, that, that one... Uh, needs to be replaced. And it was dirty. Filters get pretty dirty, you know. And I said, oh, okay. So he went out to get another filter, just came back seven or eight minutes later. And he and he put that the new one in, and he turned the whole thing on. And I was, uh, you know, all right, I, I was very glad. Now it got to that point in the afternoon, I was going over there relatively early to the theater, 
So I spoke to the woman who was organizing the whole show, and she said, yes, uh, the driver is picking you up at 4.15. Well, it was now 10 to 4. And I said, 4.15? Well, okay, I... Uh, well, I'm just going to jump in the shower and shave. I hadn't done that yet. And and she said, yes, you'd better do that. And uh, I hadn't done it yet, though. And I, I'm i just here to tell you, I did a quick shave. The, the water wasn't that hot in the room in, in, the, uh, in the sink there. In fact, it wasn't hot at all. In fact, it wasn't really warm at all. And as I shaved, it was really close to cold. And that's fine, too. I'm a big boy, and I shaved cold. And that's fine. I can do that. And then I just got ready to jump in the shower. I knew it was going to be a long, it was not going to be a long shower, but it's still two or three minutes in the shower. It's a good way to get, well, straighten everything up, clean up. And I did that. I got in the shower, but the hot water didn't work. It was like the air conditioner. It was turned off. And that water coming out there was sort of like a giant fraternity joke. And where they know how to just turn the heat off. Folks, the heat didn't work. It was ice water, icy ice water, which, so I didn't even get the head wet. Were you in the shower going, ooh, 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 ooh. And you, you really, you really can't stand there because it's way too cold. And so you get a bunch of water on you, but I just, whoa, 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 whoa. The whole shower was only 40 seconds or so. But there was no soap. I, there was nothing to use. It was very cold, and I turned it off and got dressed and, the, and the, you know and uh, got over there and I and uh, and I and I had had a cold shave too. And so it's the kind of thing you don't tell anyone because you don't want to embarrass them. When they said, "How's the resort? Isn't that lovely?" Well, and I wanted to say, "Well, if you don't want air conditioning or hot water, it's fantastic. But if you do." Stay somewhere else. I just said, which is the truth. Um, I'm a big boy. You said, you know what? It's lovely. Thank you. Oh, did you go on the garden path down to the beach? And I, you know, I, I said, look, I didn't take the walk of faith. I didn't do anything. I just stayed in the room because yeah, I just wanted to do some writing and, and call home and take a nap. It's a short stay. And everyone was at the hotel was horrified. How long are you staying? Well, I'm going home Tomorrow? Tomorrow? Well, you've, you've, you've only been here since Monday night. You can't just leave Wednesday morning. And I said, well, yes, I can. You know what? Because they think you're there to take the walk down the beach or to play golf or to play tennis or to do all those things. Well, I'm not. I'm, I'm glad you do. If you want that, That's I'm glad and that's fine. But I'm happy in the room. I'm happy to stay in a nice hotel room. And if I'm going to be there just for... 28 hours or 32 hours, whatever that is, I'll stay in the room. And you know what? The show was fine. The folks were terrific. And I got up the next day to go to, well, back to the airport and back to home here. And this is kind of the uh, big focus point of the story. That is, I sat next to a guy and we're in first class again. And I'm happy and he's happy and... uh he was, uh, let's see, about about the same age as me, I guess, and he was uh, a very successful businessman, a local engineer, who was uh, who lived in Boca Raton and was flying to Los Angeles to see one of his kids in a lacrosse match. Is it match or game? 
Well, I think it's, uh, let's call it game for now. But he that's where he was going, and we were both sitting in the first row there, and he, he was on the left and I was on the right. And he was a lot of fun to talk to, and he he enjoyed talking to me. And uh, we, let's see, the flight left. It took off about 12.30 local time. And uh, usually they're going to serve you a nice lunch, which is at one fifteen or something. It's a, it's a cross-country flight of about six hours. And I had my paperback book. And I'm sitting there. And as they're setting up the fancy lunch, which, as you know, means they're going to put down a nice tablecloth napkin on your tray. And then on that, you get the other napkin wrapped around all the silverware. And you get a glass for water. And you get a little plate with a pear on it or something. And that's fine. It's all good. And as they, I begin to realize that uh, as they're bringing, I ordered the vegetable lasagna. And I begin to think, whoa, you just, my stomach started growling a little bit. And I thought, whoa, how do you like this? Well, good Lord. After, uh, I think I'll have a quick bite here. But then after that, I, I think I'm, I'll go uh, visit the little washroom up there, just uh, past the front door. You know where those are on a plane. And folks, over the next just two or three minutes, I mean, they began to bring people's dishes out and they set mine down and I said, whoa, this is really my my stomach and my body was starting to, well, growl and chortle and just kind of shake a, a little. And I thought, holy mackerel, this is, I've really got to just have a couple of bites of this and go to that bathroom. And the ladies were very nice. They set down my my tray of this and that, and they set down the dish with the vegetable lasagna in it, and they put it down, and I I realized to myself, hey, wait a minute. I, I, I don't think this is going away on its own. And I t- took a, a one bite of the lasagna, and I, I you know... I, I just looked, if if we we were friends, and you and I were sitting next to each other, and I was I was only kind of friends with this guy, and I just, you know, I, I dabbed my, my mouth with the napkin and took a sip of water and said, you know, he looked at me and I looked at him and I just said, holy mackerel. And uh, I think this lunch is over, and I held my finger up. The ladies were very nice. The flight attendants, one came over, and I just said, I don't mean to be a bother, forgive me, but would you mind if we pleased... Stop the lunch right now for me. Could you please just take all this off right now? And they see a thousand people a day, so they know something's up. And they can see it on your face, which is changing color and has stripes on it now. And, you know, it's just going blue, green, orange. And so she was very nice and took the stuff away. And I uh, folded the tray and put it in the chair. And I put dog-eared my book and put it on the side, and put the water on the little tray on the side, and I and I started to get up, not fast, by the way. I sort of leaned forward a little and just got my balance because it didn't seem moving fast was a good idea at this point. Folks, I got up, and I sort of shuffled that eight or ten feet to the washroom, 
And I'm telling you, I got in there and closed it and, and locked the door. And I was then thinking, this is crazy. That was, which is past holy mackerel. It starts in holy mackerel and then is now into the land of whoa, whoa, whoa. And I'm telling you, I, no one likes small bathrooms. No one likes the bathrooms on the airplanes. That's fine. They do a good job. They keep them clean. And uh, they, I, I, I don't know why they have to be that size, but that's the size they are. I gently but quickly, well, undid my belt and then pulled the pants down. And you, you sit down there, and they're not small. They're they're small spaces. They're not big spaces. And my right shoulder was against the wall, and my left shoulder was against the sink. And folks, maybe you heard me, but. I'm telling you that that was crazy. There was about a two-minute evacuation there, which was a long time. And I'm telling you, it really needed to happen. And the colonel and I were talking before. And did you? Does that just happen? Or if you were anywhere, would it still just happen? Or would you have more control? And I, and I, I'm always of the belief: no, you wouldn't have more control. No, you're. It's going to happen right then. 30 seconds after you feel it, it's happening. It doesn't matter whether you're at a tea party or behind the tree at a golf course or on an airplane. It's going to happen. And I, well, I evacuated every, everything and I was very glad. And I even looked up and said, thank you. Not to the pilot. And then went to the sink and cle- well, went to the sink. I was at the sink. And then you, I washed up at the sink twice again. I, I know how to wash. You know how to wash. But I did that, and I used their little towels, and I dried up, and that's fine too. And then I put those towels in the little trash there, and I walked outside back again, and uh, I smiled at the uh, the two flight attendants. Hi, hi, hi. And you know that they were very nice and good pros, but you know while you're in there, they're looking at each other going, boy, that that doesn't sound good at all. And so I walked past them, hi, thank you, and sat back down next to my roommate there. And he was looking at me, and I sat back down, breathed out, and just turned to him and said, that's right, it happened. I said, you're a big man, you're an ex-football player, and you're about 6'4", and about 250, and you're, you're a strong, tough guy, but you would have been just as glad as I was to get in there. And he was laughing, and because uh, he knew, and that's the truth. Well, folks, I read, I slept, I was very grateful, and, you know, it's a long flight. It's six hours, and about four hours later, it's about an, it's about an hour and a half now before we're landing, and... Well, I hadn't had breakfast and I hadn't had lunch and I just called one of the flight attendants over and uh, she said, hi, yes. And I said, I hate to be a bother also again, but do you happen to have anything left from lunch? Anything at all, either dish, the chicken, the lasagna. I I don't care if you have anything sitting there. I don't need a full service. And she said, let me take a look. She, She came back and said, we have a chicken left. And I said, that's terrific. Would you mind? 
Just bring it to me. You don't have to heat it up. It's what, however hot it is from sitting there is fine with me. And just, just a napkin and a fork, please, if you don't mind, and a glass of water. And she said, sure. And she set that down. Well, a couple of bites of chicken, just a couple, and a couple of forkfuls of rice, just a couple, and just a little slice of you, you can fork slice uh, the pear that's sitting there, just just a little. And I, then I said, I smiled at her and I motioned, please. She came and took it away. I said, she said, was that okay? I said, it was just what the doctor ordered. Thank you. And uh, I sat there and she took it away and I, whew, I kind of went, whew, and picked up my book to read again and I turned to my seatmate, just smiled at him. I said, yeah, that was that was a good move. And folks, about 25 or 30 minutes later, I'm telling you now, we're close to landing. We're about a half hour from landing. But I'm telling you, I I felt the same rumble suddenly start in my stomach again. And I said, oh, come on. Wait a minute. This is crazy. But it started and it got stronger, faster. And I said, oh. Oh, good Lord. And my uh, seatmate knew it was... And it's, I looked at him. I said, yeah, same thing again. And I got up again and did the same shuffle to the washroom. And I passed the same flight attendants who really didn't say the word, but they had the look on their faces like, again? And I just nodded, yeah. And I got, I got in the same thing. Took things down carefully, gently. Folks, my bowel began to make make sounds, my stomach, and really sounds, that, not comical sounds. I don't mean like, hey, do you ever see that Monty Python movie where they, and not like that. And I mean, for the same two-minute period, sounds that don't sound human. They don't even feel right. Not gross, I mean... You're, all, you're sitting there and thinking, oh, boy, this is... Oh, part of you is thinking, this is great. And part of you is thinking, this is nuts. And I'm telling you, it finished. Two minutes of that. Nothing coming out. Two minutes, and I was weak. And I did the same thing. Cleaned up beautifully. Stood up, put, put everything, tied everything up. Zipped up, put the belt on beautifully. Washed up again, twice, beautifully, and then walked back out, nodded at the flight attendants, sat back down with my roommate, and uh, buckled up, and I just looked at him and said, Buddy, the good news is, if this happens again, it'll be in the terminal, because cause we're about to land. And he kind of laughed because he knew I wasn't trying to be funny. There was nothing funny about it. I wasn't trying to set an example for anything. I was just, thank goodness I could get there and get and, 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 and do what a living human does. Where would it happen again? I don't know. What is it what does it mean that it happened in the plane? Thank goodness it happened in the thank goodness it happened anywhere. And Colonel Jeff said to me, what do you think would have happened if you'd been in coach instead of first class? And I said, honestly, if there were four or five folks waiting for the washroom, I would have 
done that Frankenstein walk up to the front and said to the to the flight attendant, excuse me, this is very important. Something's about to happen, and you want to let me have it happen in that washroom right now. And I think they would have let me up there. In any case, I know that now, but you and I, well, for our first independent show, you and I know the same things anyway, as always. Homer is Homer, Pluto is a planet, and folks, remember, as always, if you walked out of bed today and had a job to go to and a home to come back to and someone there who cares about you, folks, the game's over and you've won, whether you're in first class or not. I enjoy that you're here. If you still, you like the show, I'm glad you're with us. Tell a friend, and we'll be here next week. <laughs>